Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. These are verses about the mutual accountability and occasional correction and the importance of honesty and genuinely caring for one another, even when it's hard. This passage reflects what's called for in the first tenet of our church covenant, but it's also one that is particular to the nature of the Baptist church. We as Baptists and as Oxford Baptist Church are here in large part because we choose to be here. And that choice is different than the way other churches have necessarily gathered. We're Baptists because we want to be Baptists. There's no bishop who decided that there needed to be a church in Oxford. The Pope didn't send a priest and ask to gather a parish. Rather, we're here because some Baptists maybe with the help from the seminary down the road, about 170 years ago decided there needed to be a place for worship and faith formation. And so the Baptists came together and they started a church. Baptists believe that we're Baptists because we just do this together. We gather, we worship, we care for one another, and we discern the Spirit of God best by gathering with one another and doing that together. We don't mediate that through a priest or a pope. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I could tell you what I think God needs you to do in your life. But that doesn't mean you always want to hear it, does it? And that doesn't mean I'm always right. Which is probably the most important part of that. I'm not always right in the way that the Pope might always be right. I'm not always right in the way that a priest might always be right. But when we discern together, we are right. That makes us Baptist. And that brings us to a difficult part of the Oxford Baptist Church Covenant. The first point, one which I won't spend as much time on as I will the other five in the weeks to come. But as I spend these weeks speaking about the importance of our covenant and how it's how it governs our life, I'll also speak about it as our best hope, maybe for the next 170 years. And certainly for whatever lies ahead, even in the next one, two, or seven years. But before we get to the covenant and all of that, let's consider the care that we're called to provide for one another as we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If any member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word might be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If If the member refuses to listen then, tell it to the church, and if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, then let that one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Again, truly I tell you, that if you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now for the next six weeks, I'll be preaching about the six tenets of our church covenant. And I'm doing this to lead up to our anniversary celebration, which is actually six weeks from today. You are going to hear again that I think the covenant is important. And I will spend considerably less on the first aspect of the covenant because I want to talk about the whole thing today. I believe that maybe this first point is is the, the, the point and the part of the covenant that governs all the rest. Because we, marched, we begin this six-week march to homecoming, and it's a time that we look back. We celebrate 170 years, and we kind of look back, but we always look back to see what we can learn, to see how we can change, to see what we need to do going forward, and to connect the good parts of our history to the good things that we want to be a part of our future. Now, I don't read many books multiple times. I don't read as many books as I should anyway. But to have picked up a book and read it several times is not really something that I do all that often, but when I have done it, With each new look, I see something new. When you watch TV or you watch your favorite show, you watch your favorite movie over and over and over again, if it's a good one, something new strikes you each time you watch it. And recently, Ocean's 12 was on in the background. It's been on like every Saturday night the last few months. And something popped out to me. It was just a single one-liner, but the 11 thieves were gathered trying to determine how it was they were going to, you know, steal from somebody else. And these, they were starting to make jokes about their Mark, who was agoraphobic, which means he's afraid to leave home. They're making fun of him, and the fact that he had not left his home in like 13 years, when Matt Damon, the conscience of the group speaks up and says now, now, now let's just stop is this really the kind of organization we want to be now the humor in this is that the last time this organization was together they stole 200 million dollars from a casino this was not an organization built on a rigid code of ethics but there's truth in the question Is this the kind of organization we want to be? What is the kind of organization that you want to be and be a part of? In a recent episode of his Revisionist History podcast, Malcolm Gladwell began his episode by talking about self-help books that are rules for life books. Eight rules for this, twelve rules for that. The rules you need in order to live a productive, meaningful life. 
these motivational self-help books provide the guardrails through the rules to keep one on the road to help one become who they want to be, to keep them from straying into places where they don't want to go. And so, what are the rules to help us be the organization that we want to be? Which is why we turn to the church covenant. When it comes to the life of the church, or any organization, there are times when we have to decide, who do we want to be? What do we really want to do? And, and though it's tempting to want to scrap it all and start over fresh, I'm not, even, I'm not really sure that that's where we are or need to be. And that's not because it would take too much work, though it would take a lot of work. I think it's because there's a timelessness to the church covenant that helps us with the ethos of who we are and the tell us of where we want to go in ways that a lot of other documents and rules maybe don't. 106 years ago this week, September 14th, 1912, this was the week that the church adopted its covenant. The covenant is the mindset, the actions, the behaviors, and the care that the the members of Oxford Baptist Church promise to one another as a set of guardrails, as an operating system, as the way it is that we are going to be Christian with one another. And by these six tenets, we're able to measure whether we're living up to our commitments to God and one another or not. And through this covenant, we see the kind of an organization that the people who gave us this church wanted us to be. We see the steps that we need to take to continue to become that kind of organization. And so I'm going to read the covenant to us. It's not all that long. But if you want to read along, if you have a copy of your church history with you, you may pull it out right now. But if you don't, it's on the front page of the church's webpage. And you may pull out your phone to read the Bible or to read the Church Covenant on OxfordBaptistNC.org. Scroll down a little bit and you'll see this. The Oxford Baptist Church Covenant adopted September 14, 1912. Having been led by the Holy Spirit to accept Jesus Christ as our Redeemer and Lord, And having by our solemn burial and resurrection with him in baptism declared ourselves dead to sin and risen to holiness, we, the members of Oxford Baptist Church, do now mutually and joyfully covenant as one body in Christ. Number one, that we will exercise Christian care and watchfulness over each other and lovingly warn, exhort, and admonish each other as occasion may require. Two, that we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in the stated services of the church and will uphold the public worship of God and the ordinances of his house. Three, that as the light of the world and the salt of the earth, we will seek divine guidance, 
that we may deny ungodliness and abstain from worldliness and will walk circumspectly before the world as witnesses to Christ. Four, that we will cherish and uphold secret, secret prayer and family religion and will faithfully endeavor by precept and example to train our children and those under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Five, that as stewards of the Lord we will cheerfully contribute of our means as He's prospered us and according to the plan recommended by the church for the maintenance of a faithful and evangelical ministry among us and for the relief of the destitute and in cooperation with Baptists for the extension of His kingdom to all the world. And six, that when we remove from this community, we will, as soon as practicable, unite with, one another, or unite with another church of the same faith and order where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. And may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of an eternal covenant, even our Lord Jesus, make us perfect in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I might just be like an accountant who loves a balanced spreadsheet, but as a minister, I love this covenant. It's, it is timeless. And I think it points us to the essential ways that we can embody our faith and care well for one another. It reflects who God has called us to be and provides us with a baseline for faith and for growth and how we can live out our faith well with one another. And it's possible that it might also be a tool to help us diagnose things if we feel like things are going wrong. You see, I suspect that when things are going well, we're keeping this covenant well. We're doing a good job of loving and, and giving and nurturing our faith. I wonder if we feel like when we're struggling, it's because we've forgotten some of these things. I believe that when we find ways to generously embody this covenant with one another and with those who are looking for the things that a church provides through the love of God, we'll grow. We'll grow in our spiritual life. We'll probably grow in membership. We will definitely grow in the work that we're called to do the ministry we need to get done, the people we're asked to care for, and the mission opportunities we'll need to chase down. Because these six things are the kind of things, actually, that people truly, truly need. And they're the things that are supposed to govern us as a congregation. I think people join small groups because of these six points. Though they don't articulate, that's why they do it. I think people join country clubs and lodges and organizations in order to find the kind of accountability and support and care that is laid out in these six points. 
And I think people find themselves belonging and becoming a part of a whole when they're invited into a shared life that is governed by six points of behavior like these. I believe this. I believe that 106 years ago, this church believed this. And I wonder if you believe that. Now, a couple months ago, I was making visits to folks. I had several lined up on a particular day. And I went by one folks, one couple's house that was kind of recently homebound. And they're not totally homebound. But they made it a point to share with me that this particular member of the church had, had really been watching over them and caring for them. This person had been dropping stuff by and sending notes every few weeks, calling periodically, just to see how it was this couple who had been recently limited by their health was doing. They were genuinely overwhelmed by the care that was being given to them by this one individual. A great visit. We ended it. I moved on. I made a visit to another home. And unfortunately, the opposite was true. Oh, they had plenty of friends in the church. They had folks who were caring for them, and they weren't homebound as much. But, but the question came up, has your deacon checked with you? Turns out the person who was caring for the first couple was their deacon. And the second couple said, I can't even tell you who my deacon is. I hadn't heard from them. I've told the deacons this story, so I'm not telling on them. They know. But, but I wonder if, if it would have helped if their deacon had been present when they got that diffi- difficult diagnosis. Oh, not sitting next to them in the, in the doctor's office. That's not what we do. But, but having, been made, having made contact, providing loving watchfulness over one another... I'm not asking every one of us to visit and care for everyone else. But we all need to care somehow. We all need to watch lovingly over one another. We all need to consciously invest in the lives of one another so that we can be reminded that we are not alone. We are in this together. No one wants to be a part of an organization that ignores them or forgets them. And our covenant helps us to remember that we must remember one another. Now I could be doing some revisionist history of my own and I don't know the history as well as Royster and Yancey do but I've read it enough to know this. In 1912, this church adopted this covenant, and they adopted it in a building that was not this one. They adopted this covenant in 1912, and you know, shortly after 1912 was the Great War, and then the Roaring Twenties. And this church had adopted the covenant, and I wonder if they were keeping it well. I wonder if they were keeping it well, because by the early to mid-twenties, they had decided that building they were in was 
not going to do it. They needed something bigger. They needed something updated. They needed to get out from underneath the oil lamps and into electricity. And so they broke ground on a new building. This building. And you probably know the story. Right after they broke ground on the building, the depression hit. The Great Depression hit. From the time they broke ground to the time they paid off the note, it was about 13 years. It was about 13 years during the Great Depression that this church built a sanctuary that is now some 90 years old. Now, maybe they had more money than you and I did. Maybe they were the captains of industry in Oxford at the time. And if that is the case, well, we'll do our best. But I wonder if maybe during one of the most difficult times in the history of our country, during the Great War and then during the Depression, that a church goes from a small building to this place in 31 years. I wonder if it was in part because they were keeping the covenant. Maybe in the midst of the struggle, they were caring for one another really well. Maybe they were loving their brothers and sisters with Christ-like love that went the extra mile, that turned the other cheek, and that gave the cloak, that, that created a scenario whereby the congregation couldn't help but bust at the seams. It could just be that they wanted to get get out of that old building with its oil lamps and get into a new one with 13 stairs and big pillars. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was that they were keeping the covenant. And I guess that's my sermon for today. I think the covenant is important because I think it reflects who God calls us to be. And I wonder what God will lead us to when we embody who it is that God has called us to be. Oh, we do a pretty good job of it most of the time, but there's always room for improvement. And so today and for the next five weeks, I hope that when you hear these sermons, you will recommit yourself to being the kind of Christian that you've said you've wanted to be by joining Oxford Baptist Church and entering into a covenant with one another. Because I think the covenant is the best shot that the church has. Maybe it's not our last shot. I don't even know that it's a long shot. As much as in the crazy world in which we live, to do these six things for one another provides promise and hope in a way little other things can. So keep this covenant. Help, it will help us to love the Lord. And it will help us to be more of a church than we ever imagined we could possibly be. Which could carry us far beyond another 170 years. Even though none of us will be here to see that. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks for this day and for this church and for the great care it has provided to each one of us in days past. Oh God, you've been our help in ages past and you are our hope for days to come. And we see these six tenets of this covenant as the way to embody that hope. 
And so, Lord, help us to do it for ourselves. Help us to do it for one another. And help us to embody these ways of living so that your kingdom come and your will will be done today on earth as it will be someday in heaven. Loving God, hear our prayers. We offer them in your name today. Amen.